0: Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12 is where we'll start and we'll move on after that. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now to see this peacemaking, when it says blessed are the peacemakers, to see this peacemaking as simply helping people to get along would be to see this beatitude in way too simple a way. The fact that the peacemakers will be called sons of God shows us that this peacemaking is tied to spiritual peacemaking. This is not a, the peacemakers of, hey guys, let's just all agree. Let's all just get along. That's not what it's talking about. We're going to be, as you're going to see, This type of peacemaking that God's talking about, what Jesus is talking about here, is the peace making peace between man and God. Go to Romans chapter 5, and we'll kind of start laying this out for you here. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, when they... Angels came and announced the birth of Jesus. They said, What? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. But not just peace, peace with whom or on whom his favor rests. You see, God loves the world, and he wants the world to be reconciled. But the Bible also says in the book of Isaiah, There's no peace for the wicked. And and as much as the fact that people are loved by God, if they are separate from God because of their sin, they're not at peace with God. They are doomed for judgment. They're headed for hell. There's a separation because of their sin. And God so loved the world that he sent his son to take care of that problem. And that's why when the baby was announced, when this child was born, he said, peace has now been given to the world But it's only for those on whom his favor rests. And here we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we have peace with God. How? According to Romans 5.1. Well, yes, by faith, but keep reading. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking about those of us who are being used of God to share the peace of God with the world so they would come into a peace relationship with God. Go to Romans chapter 15 and you'll see it even more clearly. Romans 15, look at verse 13. In Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. Do you see it? In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Again, God fills us with peace when we're at Peace with him, when we're in a right relationship with him. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show you one more passage that kind of lays this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, as Paul's talking to the Gentiles and the fact that they were separated from Israel. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 22. Says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. "'Thereby killing the hostility. "'And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off "'and peace to those who were near. "'For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. "'So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, "'but your fellow citizens with the saints "'and members of the household of God. "'You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, "'Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone.'" in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the early church there was a real problem with the fact that the Jewish believers still thought they were better than the Gentile believers. That division that had been there all along in the mindset of the Jews that the Gentiles were unworthy. The Gentiles, they wouldn't even go into their houses to eat, if you remember in our study. The the Jews thought they were better. Paul had to help them understand, look, God came and preached peace to the Gentiles. He's preached it to you Jews who were close. He's done it to remove this hostility. And the church is made up of both both Jew and Gentile. Yes, God's still got a plan for the nation of Israel as we've been talking about. But in the church he's saying, he is our peace. And we now, as people who have been made at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, have a responsibility, according to what we've been looking at here in the Beatitudes, to be peacemakers. But if we're peacemakers, how are we peacemakers? Do we just tell everybody, let's all get along? Or do we introduce them to the Prince of Peace? That's how you become peacemakers. And those who are introducing others to the Prince of Peace, so they can become at peace with God, peacemakers are the ones who are going to be called the sons of God. And so... People who have been born of God, who have been made pure in heart, the Beatitudes we've been looking at earlier, who live in such peace that their righteous life attracts people to a world, in a world where there's no peace. I'm going to say that to you again. I want you to let that sink in because that's where we're going to go next. If we're to be peacemakers, we're to be living our lives, and I'm going to show you this from the Scripture, in such a way that this peace that we have with God has taken root in our hearts to the point that we're relaxed. We're at peace with God. We know that we're right with God and our pure heart, our righteous life, what God's doing in us becomes so evident to the people around us that people actually around us say, I want what you have. You don't have to go stand on a corner and say you're going to hell. You can just live in this peace that we have in this world. By the way, is the world living in peace right now? Good grief. It's nuts. It's chaos. There's Republican and Democrats fighting with each other. There's people that are killing their kids and then themselves. There's people that are just going into nightclubs and just throwing grenades and then shooting people. There are guys that camp in hotels and white people out at a country concert. And it's getting worse. By the way, you do realize it's not going to get better. And in this world, God has put, and you're going to see this as we get to the close of our message, he's put people like us who have been made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our peace, and we're to be living in such a way that that peace that we've received is evident to the people around us, where people around us say, you're different. We don't have to tell them we're different. They'll just notice it. And something happened Sunday night to me that illustrates this so perfectly. I, I, I I had already written this whole study before this past weekend when I was preaching up in Virginia. Now, at this church that I was preaching at, I flew into Raleigh-Durham, drove two and a half hours to Galax, Virginia, preached there for a whole weekend of an ordination council for a young man, was flying back late Sunday night from Raleigh-Durham to Orlando. Now, folks, whenever I fly, and I fly a lot, I always pray before I go to sleep, because that's what I want to do when I sleep on the plane. When I get on the plane, I just want to go sleep. I always pray, Lord, if you want me to talk to the person next to me, make it very clear. I'm not one of these ones that thinks... Every time I sit in the chair, I have to share the gospel with the person next to me, because I know sometimes God doesn't want me to. And so I pray, Lord, you know what I want to do. I want to sleep. When I was younger, I would have the hardest time, because when I get on a plane, I'm already sleepy. But they're passing out the free Cokes and the free peanuts. When I was younger, I had to get my My Coke. Now I don't even care. I can get a Coke whenever I want a Coke. I just want to go to sleep. So I don't even hear them offer it anymore because I am usually asleep before the plane takes off. That's how good at it I am. So Sunday night, I sat down. I always, I fly Southwest a lot. I look for my, you get to pick your own seat. I look for a window. First window that's available, I want it. I just want to put my head against the window and I'm out. There was a man sitting on the aisle. I said, do you mind if I take that window seat? He said, sure, if you don't mind. I'm trying to save this seat for my wife. And I said, it's not a problem. I said, I'm going to go to sleep anyway. So I put my head up against the window. I prayed, Lord, if you want me to talk to the people next to me, you have to make that clear. Otherwise, I'm going to sleep. So I did. I was out. Before the plane even took off, I was gone. About 45 minutes into the flight, I am awoken. I'm awoken because she spilled her beer all over me. It woke me up. I thought I wet the bed. All right? (laughs) It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of beer that she spilled in my lap. And on top of that, she's so embarrassed, she's already trying to wipe my lap up with a napkin. You wouldn't talk about getting woke up. I am woke up to the fact that I am covered in beer, and a lady's wiping my lap with a napkin. As I'm waking up, clear as anything, God says, there's your opportunity. And she is, I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She's a petite lady. I'm a big dude, all right? And I take up power to her seat. I, the only thing she's ever seen, I never saw her. I went to sleep before she got in the seat. So the first time she gets in the seat, all she sees is this big man that's looked like he's been shot with a tranquilizer, you know, and I'm just over there. And then she accidentally dumps her beer all over me. And she's quickly trying to dry me off. I wake up, she thinks I'm gonna be mad as a hornet, and I just start laughing. She's I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I was like, you know what, it's fine. I said, I just need you to write a note for me because I'm gonna have to explain this, I'm gonna have to explain this to my wife. Because I'm gonna come home smelling like beer. She goes, you don't understand, I am so sorry. I said, it's okay. I didn't even really feel it, it was a light beer. Because it was, It was it was a light beer. She said, I am so grateful that you are reacting the way you're reacting. I thought you'd be mad. I said, ma'am, I'm not mad at all. I said, be honest with you, it doesn't bother me. And uh, she goes, what do you do? And I said, if I told you, you have to promise you won't be scared. She goes, I'm scared already. (laughs) I said, I'm a preacher. Oh, I am so sorry, sir. (laughs) I mean, that's when they start getting into calling you father and all this stuff. I said, relax. Relax relax. I said, it, it, we're, we're good. We're really, we're fine with this. This is, well, that opened a door for us to just talk. And through that talk I was able to share the gospel with them. I wish I could tell you, oh, they got saved. But it was such a cool interaction. The doors opened for open conversation. They were asking questions. I was asking questions of them. They were asking questions about how my ministry worked. They took a business card. They're going to go and check it all out and all this stuff. We land in Orlando and uh, we were near the front. So we we're one of the first ones to go down to luggage. If you've ever been to Orlando, you wait a while for your luggage to come. It's just the way it is at Orlando. So we're there. Uh, their son's with them now. He was sitting in the back with some friends and he starts to go looking for the bags that are coming out and the, and the husband stops him and says, look son, there are other planes that are getting their luggage here too. We just got here. There's no way those are our bags. But as he said that, I noticed my bag come off. It was our plane, which is crazy. And I walked up and I said, this actually is our plane. Look, here's my bag right here. And they go, are you always this blessed? <laughs> and I said, I hope you're blessed too. And then I told the lady, I said, we would have never met if you hadn't have spilled that beer on me because otherwise I would have slept through the whole plane. Go to James chapter 3. Look at verses 13 through 18. Who is wise... ...and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual and demonic. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, where that exists... There's going to be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I want you to hear is this. Folks, if I were to ask you, are you at peace with God? And you say, yes, praise God, I'm at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to say good for you. But let me ask you this question. Has the fact that you're at peace with God made an effect on your life in such a way that you live peaceably so that the people around you don't have to tiptoe, the people around you can tell that something's different about you, you don't react like the rest of the world, because if you can say, well, I'm at peace with God, yet you're in traffic and you're honking your horn. Has the fact that you're at peace with God made it to your heart? See, the Bible says true wisdom is not jockeying for position, bragging about how many scriptures you know. True wisdom is peaceable and gentle. I think the Bible says that the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, kindness. It's time that we really show who the sons and daughters of God are. Who are they? They're going to be the peacemakers. And how do they make peace? Well, the scripture says here, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We make peace by allowing the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ to so take root of our hearts that we don't worry about whether or not someone spills beer on us. We don't worry about whether or not someone's offended us. We don't worry about whether or not someone's cut us off. We don't worry about whether or not we were passed over for a promotion. We don't worry about all these things because when we really understand that we're in a right relationship with God, And that truth sinks in. It's going to be evident to the people around us. I want to go into that in more detail, but I'm going to save that for when we get to the end of tonight's message. So if God's desire is to produce evidence of this peace that we have, this is a tricky question, but I want you to stick with me. If God's desire is to produce evidence of this peace that we have, what's he going to put us through? To demonstrate it. Trials and tribulation. He's going to put you in situations when your natural fleshly reaction or the reaction of the rest of the world is to react negatively or to be angry or to be upset or to be offended. Remember how in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is not easily offended. It keeps no record of wrongs. You see, if his desire is to produce peace and sow peace and produce righteousness, we have to... Understand that we're going to go through stuff so that God can show the peace that we have coming out in those situations. Your peace is not going to be evident when you're sitting on a beach with your, show, your toes in the water. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are wonderful times. But, oh, that person's so at peace. Well, who wouldn't be? But if you're sitting in traffic and you're at peace, the world is going to say, how come? How come? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, you're in James, back up to chapter 12, look at verses five through 14. And I think, by the way, as you're turning there, I thank God that I didn't have to sit there and say, calm down, Jim, calm down, Jim. I wanna let them see Jesus. That didn't even cross my mind. It was like God so clearly just said, this is cool. And it was, it really was. It was light. All right, go to Hebrews 12. Look at verses 5 through 14. And you, have you forgotten the exhortation? Some of your translations say encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Folks, I've heard too many Christians over the years say, i got to work on my patience. No, you can't. But if you ask God to produce this patience in you, which is an evidence of the Spirit, and you ask Him and you believe that He will, you watch how He will. But he's going to put you in situations. The people are say, don't ever pray for patience. You ever heard Christians say that? Yeah. So did you hear what they're saying? Don't ever pray for evidence of the Spirit. No, ask God for this patience. I want the evidence of you in me to be seen to the people around me. God says, okay, but that means I'm going to put you in situations to demonstrate it. Okay. Do your work. Because I want to be one of these sons and daughters of God who are peacemakers. I want to be one of those people who... We live next door to two guys that are homosexuals. They know who I am. They know what I do. We've lived next door to them for 18 years. But you know what? Every time I mow my lawn, I'll edge theirs. And by God's design, when I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of the guys named Brian ended up having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at the exact same time. He was one month ahead of me and we walked through non hodgkin's lymphoma together talking with each other about our doctors visits and latest reports and all that when they were when he was designated clear cancer and i was designated clear cancer we celebrated and we my wife made lo- makes bread she makes amazing bread and she made a loaf of bread and sent it over to him with scripture that talks about how jesus is the bread of life and these two guys who know that we believe that homosexuality is a sin according to god's word also know that we love them and they sent a thank you card over saying, we are so glad you are our neighbors. But it was because we said we have to work on loving them. No, folks, we're in a right relationship with God. We want them to have that right relationship with God. That's all. We don't want them to think we're right and they're wrong. We just want them to have the same right relationship with God. And these guys know where we are, but there's, the, there's something about us. Tonight, before I came over, the other guy, uh, Bill, came over to introduce me to their new puppy they just got. The puppy's name is Kylie, and he wanted us to meet their new dog, and they're so excited about that. I'm going to go one more more passage. Now, actually, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep moving. There's good news. With each of these Beatitudes, there's good news. Spiritual peacemakers will be called what, according to the beatitude in in Matthew 5, verse 9? Sons of God. Go to Romans chapter 8. With everything we've just looked at, something that Paul says here is going to make a whole lot more sense. If the peacemakers are going to be called sons of God, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Isn't that interesting that God would choose the word led by the Spirit? The Bible actually says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You can be born again, but not walk in the Spirit. But those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see it? The struggle in this life That most of us whine and complain and mope and get upset about is designed by God to show the difference between us and the rest of the world. If there was ever a time in which you should let your light shine or your light could be seen, it's pretty easy now, wouldn't you think? You don't have to work at it because the world is so dark. And God's desire is that in this life where it rains on the just and the unjust, There's who's saved and who's not would become evident to the world because of our reaction. But it's not happening because most Christians, even though they're at peace with God, have never allowed the truth of that fact to sink into their hearts and manifest itself in how they treat their wives, how they treat their husbands, how they treat their neighbors, how they treat their boss. So I'm going to ask you again, are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ? You say yes, I'll say good for you. Let me ask you the next question, though. Has the truth of that peace with God made it to your heart to the point that you become a peacemaker? See, it's one thing to say, I'm at peace with God. It's another thing to say, but I want to share it. I want to share it. In John chapter 1, the scripture says that those who received him received the right to become children of God. I'm going to ask a question of you. I'm going to ask you a show of hands here tonight. How many of you, when you grew up, were like me, and there was a family in your town that had more money than your family, and you found yourselves a few times wishing that you were in that family. Ever, has anybody ever been there? I could. I, I, we've all done it. When I asked Tuesday night, it was like eighty percent of the room raised their hand. We've all done it. We all grew up that way. I, ours were the Tajises. They owned the hardware store in town, and they had a lake house too. And I remember, was a kid, a lot of times thinking, "Man, I wish I grew up in the Tajis family." Well, guess what, folks? If you're a child of God, who's your daddy? The King of the Universe. And didn't in the story of the prodigal son, which I think should have been renamed the loving father, is it, didn't in that story the father say to the son, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Yet we walk around with no peace, no joy, no patience, no gentleness, no meekness. The evidences of those of us who are born again in the Beatitudes, the evidence of kingdom people is not being seen by the church Now, this is where I, like I told you last time we met, don't go home and say, I'm going to do better. You can't do better. Go to the next one. And back to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, we're not going to spend too, too much time here. We're going to hit it pretty quickly. But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? Because for his sake, on my account, my translation says, for his sake, exactly. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, now we're gonna see not only is there just natural stuff that's gonna happen to us because God's wanting to use it to show the peace that we have in this world, there's actually gonna be intentional stuff from the demonic realm that's gonna come at us and persecute us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's the stuff that happens to everybody. And we should hopefully allow Christ to live in us in such a way that we react to it way different than the rest of the world. But on top of that, if you are in Christ, you also have a target on you. And they're going to be those that are going to go after you because of your relationship with Christ. And he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. By the way, this isn't talking about suffering that happens because of our stupid choices. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. By the way, let me just ask you real quick Has anybody ever noticed that once you get out of the latest struggle, whether it's health, or finances, or relationship, or struggle with kids. Have you ever noticed once you finally get out of that, the next one happens almost immediately? Or sometimes they pile on top of each other? And and, and in our minds we think, when am I going to get a break? Um, I think Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I know, Jesus, I know I'll have trouble. But can I just have a couple of days without trouble? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's going to be trouble every day. So when we sit there going, when am I going to get a break? When am I going to stop having trouble? When am I, I going to just be able to take a deep breath? You're actually saying, when is Jesus going to be wrong? When we're at peace with God. Well, when you're at peace with God, he'll, he won't be wrong. No, I'm saying? We'll be at rest when we're at peace. When we're at peace with God, rest exactly. that when You can go through this life and react in ways, even when you're targeted, and but you're at peace. And let's be honest, isn't that what we saw? In the apostles, and how they reacted to the persecution they went through. I mean, Stephen's being stoned, and he's not saying, hey, God, keep names. He says, don't hold it against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul and Silas were sitting in prison. They'd been beaten. They'd been unjustly put in prison without even trial. And they're singing praises to God at midnight. We'll come back to that story in a little bit. In 1 Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised, beloved, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is re- revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Don't don't suffer because of you being that way. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We shouldn't be surprised by the world's negative reaction to us when we speak the truth in love. When we lovingly tell the world that they are spiritually poor, that they should mourn because of their sin, that they have no righteousness of their own, and that they should hunger and thirst for it from the, for it from the only way in which they can be saved, which is through faith alone in Jesus' sinless life, his death for our sins, and his resurrection, we shouldn't be surprised when the world gets upset at that. You know why? There was a man, I think you've heard of him, his name was Jesus. He not only was man, but he was also God. And he came into this world and he lived a life of love. Perfect love. He lived without sin. And the world called him crazy and demon possessed. And they killed him. Go to John chapter 15. Look at verses 18 through 21. Why should we expect to be treated differently? Why do we try so hard to be accepted by the world? In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says, "'If the world hates you, "'know that it's hated me before it hated you. "'If you were of the world, "'the world would love you as its own. "'But because you're not of the world, "'but I chose you out of the world, "'therefore the world hates you. "'Remember the word that I said to you, "'a servant is not greater than his master. "'If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. "'If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours.' But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. Don't miss that. When the world persecutes you because you're in Christ, don't take it personally. But isn't that what we think about? We worry about how we're going to be personally received. No, he says, look, expect that. Actually go into every encounter that you go and share the good news. Every encounter that you share the love of Christ. Every encounter that you want people to know that you're in Christ and who he is and what he's done. Go into it expecting them to negatively react. Just recently I heard an evangelist who shares the gospel with Muslims put it this way. He said we've been called by God to be fishers of men. He said if you know anything about fishing, the fish don't help you get them in the boat. Even though... In the spiritual aspect, we're fishing for their best. Fish don't like it. Don't be surprised when the fish don't help you get in the boat. But when they persecute you because you're in Christ, don't take it personally. They really aren't hating you. Who are they hating? They're hating Jesus. Oh, and by the way, Jesus himself said, if they reject my words, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Father who sent me. Do you see it? We've got to change our mindset. Folks, what's happened is, little by little, we've gotten away from this book and away from what it really means to be in Christ and understanding that, and we've tried in our best to build our churches to make the world feel accepted, and I'm not really that, but we want to be accepted by them. Instead of just saying, this is who we are, this is what the Scripture says, and if you want to be a part of it, God's opened your eyes. And if you don't, Satan's blinded your eyes. We love you, and we hope that you change your mind. But this is who we are. But what we've done is we'll soften it in hopes that we have more numbers. We'll change our message in hopes of getting more people on Sunday in bigger churches. And folks, we've been taught to measure church growth. And the Bible actually says that you don't worry about that stuff. That's what God takes care of. One plant's another waters, it's God who takes care of the increase. The Bible actually says that wide is the path that goes to destruction. Many go that way. Narrows the road that goes to eternal life. Few there be find it. Yet we in the church today are focused more on: are we growing in our numbers? Are we doing? And we start focusing on the wrong thing instead of just resting in Christ and allowing him to do what he wants to do through us. And so when we start focusing, are we growing, are we reaching people, are we doing all these things? Like you've heard me say before, Paul never ever wrote to a church and said, how many are you running? He never wrote to a church and said, how many have you reached for Christ? He actually said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if what I'm saying to you makes sense, God's opened your eyes. If it doesn't, Satan's blinded your eyes. I'm just to go share it and I leave the results to God. People say, oh, Jim, the church is dying. Well, then Jesus lied when he said that he'll build his church and the gates of hell won't stop it. But what happens is, is we now want the world to like us. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me. Yet we desire, how can we do this where they won't persecute us? Go to Acts chapter 9. Look at verses one through five. Like I said, when they persecute you, don't take it personally. Saul, by the way, we know him as Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, but this is when he was, before he was saved. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I thought he was going after the church. Now, Jesus said, if they're after you, they're not really after you. They're after me. And Jesus takes it personally. So folks, relax. They're going to react negatively. They're not going to like it. Still keep sharing it in love and let God do what he's going to do. In Acts chapter 5, you're in chapter 9. Back up to chapter 5 and look at verses 40 through 42. I love this. In Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 40. And when they had, all, they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then these guys left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Did you catch that? By the way, does anybody know who the council was that they had been brought in before? I'm sorry? The ones that killed Jesus. These are the same guys that they had already seen had Jesus put to death. That same group had them beaten and said, don't ever preach anymore in that name. They walked out of there and they said, isn't that cool? We just got beaten because we believe in Jesus. Remember, Peter said, if it happens, if someone rejects you because of Jesus, rejoice. That means the spirit of God is resting on you. Satan don't care about you, but he doesn't like Jesus And if he goes after you because you're in Christ, rejoice. Years ago, I was out knocking on doors, uh, inviting people to our church in New Orleans and sharing the gospel. And I came to this one house and this man came out and he was of a different religion. And when he saw who I was and what I was doing, he not only didn't speak to me, he spit one of the biggest loogies on me I've ever had. And he just worked one up, spit it right there. And all he did was this. He wouldn't even speak to me, and he wanted nothing to do with me, and he wanted me off his property. And I went home saying, check it out. Because he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. He did that because of Jesus. Folks, we've got to change our mindset. Blessed are you when people persecute you because you're in Christ. Now, I'm going to set you up. We love much of what comes with our association with Jesus, right? I mean, joy, peace, salvation, right? You love everything that comes with being in Christ, don't you? I'm going to ask you again. Do you love everything that comes from being in Christ? (laughs) We're supposed to. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Look at verses 27 through 30. Philippians 1, verse 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What that means is, if you are one of those people honking horns in traffic, take the Jesus fish off the back of your car. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Did you catch that? It's been granted to us, that's a gift. That we not only believe, but that we would also what? Suffer. By the way, with each beatitude, there's good news. And I put in my notes, good, I need some right now. Not only is persecution for Christ's sake proof that you're in the kingdom. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Look in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. It's not only evidence that you're saved when Satan goes after you and uses the world to do it because you're in Christ. The Bible also says, great is your reward in heaven. In Matthew chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, verse 29, Jesus said, for the people that have suffered loss in this life because of Christ, houses, lands, families, whatever, he'll repay them 100-fold. Paul himself said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the present suffering is not even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Folks, relax. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the people see, around, see it when they run into you. Go back to Matthew chapter five now and look at verses 13 through 16. We're gonna cover half of this in the time we have left. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We'll only have time tonight to deal with the salt side. We'll deal with the light side when we come back in two weeks. Now, we're most likely very familiar with these verses. Anybody here not ever heard of salt and light, that we're salt of the earth and light of the world? We've all heard that, correct? But I honestly think that many of us are not familiar with the context of the salt and light passage. What's the context of the salt and light passage? By the way, if you don't know, I'll have to start the Beatitudes all over again. What's the context of you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world? What has he just finished teaching the beatitudes jesus in his sermon on the mount has just finished listing what we call the beatitudes or the kingdom or the description of what a kingdom person or true born again believer looks like these are the ones who realize they're poor in spirit these are the ones who grieve over the fact they're poor in spirit these are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness from somewhere outside of themselves these are the ones who are peacemakers Do you understand this is the kingdom person he's just described what the kingdom person looks like And he sums up all of the previous descriptions by calling us true believers salt and light. Salt has many attributes or characteristics that match what Jesus has just described in the Beatitudes. Remember how we talked about the fact that God's going to allow stuff to happen to us so that the peace that's in us can be splashed out and people see it? Or he's going to intentionally allow persecution for his sake because of that so that the world can see it? Folks, I'm going to go quickly, but I'm going to list for you what salt does. Salt adds flavor. You all do know that, right? You ever had something that needed a little more flavor? You added salt to it, right? Salt adds flavor. The Bible actually says that when we go into the world, our change of life, who we are, that joy that we have, should actually have an effect on the people around us. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and I'll show you what I'm talking about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 10. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, our Father, your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Do you hear what he said? He said the reality of you responding to the gospel was evident because you responded not just to the Word, but you responded in conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of the affliction, you had joy. And that joy you had was so amazing, Word began to spread Folks, if you end up in the hospital, does word begin to spread in the hospital about what is going on in that room? The peace that that person has, the joy that that person has, the patience that man or woman has. By the way, do you need a little bit of patience when you're in the hospital? Yeah. You know what? When I go visit people in the hospital, I visit a lot of Christians in the hospital. I don't see a whole lot of joy. I don't see a whole lot of patience. I hear him complaining about how long it's taken for everything to get done. Blah, blah, blah. The food's cold. And salt's supposed to add flavor to wherever it goes. Now let the Spirit of God just convict you to where you need to be. Is your salvation real enough that it's changed how you react to things? Or are you just glad you're saved because you believe the right thing and you took the class? Oh, by the way, salt's also a preservative. Back in the day, they would use salt, and they still do it now to preserve. Things. By the way, does the salt keep the meat from rotting? No. No, it's going to eventually rot, but it slows it down, right? We're not going to change the world. We've got to get rid of that kind of preaching. Oh, we're going to change the world. No, we're not. The world's going to go where the world's going to go. And narrows the road that leads to eternal life. But the Bible says that we should have an effect in which we slow the decay. I'm not going to take the time to read it to you, but the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, won't be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way. People have said for years, well, he who restrains is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth, hang on for a second, the Holy Spirit will never be removed from the earth reasons why one the Bible says in Psalm 139 there's nowhere you can't you can go that God's not there if God's spirit is there a way for the spirit not to be, you know what I'm saying he's always going to be there yet at the same time the Bible also says that during the tribulation period thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands are going to come to faith is that possible apart from the work of the spirit the Holy Spirit's still going to be in the earth during the tribulation period well what's he who restrains then and it's the Holy Spirit's work through the church. It's one of the evidences of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. When the church is removed, folks, you see how wicked things are getting now? Wait until the church is gone. You don't want to be here when the true wickedness of man is not held in check. Jesus himself even said that when he was being crucified. He was carrying his cross through the city and the women were weeping. He said, don't weep for me. If they're going to do this when the tree's green... What's it going to be like when it's not? Weep for yourselves. Jesus himself even said in Matthew 24 that what's going to go on in that time period on the earth is going to be so bad. is like no other time in the history of the world. It's going to make the Holocaust look like nothing. And if he doesn't cut those days short, no human being will survive. Why? Because man's wickedness will be unleashed and they'll kill each other. As bad as it is, Christians are being used to slow the decay. So you got to understand we have a responsibility not only to vote, but also to just be that salt and light we'll talk about next time we come together. Do you know salt also produces thirst? Salt makes you thirsty. Something have something really salty, you go, man, I'm thirsty. We're supposed to be used of God to produce a hunger and thirst in people. Remember how I talked to you about Paul and Silas singing in the prison? There's something about that story that a lot of people don't realize. You can double check me by looking at it in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and following. But in Acts 16, when they have been beaten because of Christ, and they're in there in the inner cell in stocks, just praising God and singing at midnight, the doors fly open, the chains just fall off, the jailer realizes everybody's going to escape, and he goes to kill himself. And they said, no, no, we're all here. Did you realize that? Not just Paul and Silas. All the other guys that were prisoners, nobody left. And what does the jailer say? Brothers, what must I do to be saved? They had lived their life in such a way that they all of a sudden just said, I want what you got. I know what's going on. I know your illegal trial. I know all the stuff that's happened to you. And you reacted that way? I need that. Salt produces thirst. Well, by the way, do you know, if you've lived up north, salt also melts coldness. Anybody ever been up north and had to put salt down on the road to get rid of the ice? The Bible actually says that salt melts coldness. I'll write this one down and look at it later on. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. But go with me to Matthew chapter 27 and look at verses 38 through 44. Which one? The first Peter 1 Peter 1? 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And now we're turning to Matthew 27, verses 38 through 44. It says in Matthew 27, verse 38, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross so, by the way, who's talking through these people right now? That is Satan. That is so clearly Satan. I mean, he's the same one that said, if you are the son of God in the wilderness, come down from the cross, save yourself. So all the chief, pri- also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So are both robbers making fun of him? Yeah, but salt melts coldness. Go to Luke 23. Look at verses 32 through 43. Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By the way, um, if you study the Greek, this wasn't possibly just one time. In the Greek, the way it's worded, most likely Jesus was saying this over and over and over. The whole time they're nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the guys on each side of them are making fun of him. And they cast lots to divide his garments. People stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, saying, mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Folks, do you know any family members or friends that are kind of hard sells, if you will, when it comes to Christianity? Salt melts coldness, too. Not abrasiveness and all this stuff. Just lovingly let this truth of who you are in Christ cause you to react wonderfully when they spill beer on you or if they throw it on you. React the same way. By the way, the Bible also says that salt heals wounds. Do you know salt heals wounds as well? I don't think it's any accident that he said, you guys are the salt of the earth. I've put you here for a reason. Write these down. We're not going to take the time to turn there. But Psalm 34, verse 18 is one. Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 3. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says that we're to encourage the timid, help the weak. And Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, that if you see your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. Other times that our brothers and sisters in Christ even are wounded, maybe even self-inflicted. Why do we then point the finger and condemn? Why do we not come alongside of them and be salt? put salt in the wound in the way that is supposed to help and heal. But the Bible says that for Christians walking in the flesh and not the spirit, their witness will be ineffective and trampled under the feet of men. I'm going to say something, too, that I, I hope isn't true, but it might be. The church today is losing its saltiness. The church today is losing its saltiness. Years ago, when I was pastor in Chicago, there was a man that showed up at the church one Sunday with his wife. His name was Bruce. Her name was Lynn. It was an interesting situation when they came. And I always want, I've never been a pastor who wanted to, hey, can I make you a church member? Actually, I didn't want them to be church members because once they became members, they became problems. You know, but I always wanted to know what God was doing because people don't just walk into a church on their own. The Bible says no one seeks God. No one comes to unless the Father draws them first. And so, if someone ever came to our church, I wanted to hear the God story. I would love to hear the God stories of all of y'all. What what brings you here? So, I went and met with Bruce and Lynn. And I said, You got to tell me your story. How'd you end up at our church? Bruce said, Well, there's a guy in your church named Brian, whom I work with in my office. And one day, They rearranged our offices and we'd known each other for a while, but they rearranged our offices and made me and Brian's desks go face to face so that he sat at his desk looking right at me. I sat at my desk looking right at him and we got talking and he found out I was a Christian and he called me a chameleon. I said, what did he mean by that? He said, well, when he found out I was a Christian, even though he'd known me for years in the office, he said he was shocked to find out I was a Christian because he said, Brian said to me, Bruce, you pretend to be like everybody that you're with. Whatever group you're with, you look just like them. I had no idea that you were, you were a Christian. You're a chameleon. And he said, God really got a hold of me. And I realized I needed to start getting serious about my walk with Jesus. And I need to find a church. And I figured, I want to go to Brian's church. I said, Brian calls you a chameleon, and you want to go to his church? He goes, yeah. Come to find out, his wife Lynn was a Buddhist. But she came faithfully every week with with Bruce. And about a year into their being there, one Sunday, Lynn gets up during the invitation and walks down the aisle and gives her life to Jesus Christ. And the church had been praying for her, and we just were weeping and celebrating. And all that came about because Brian was salt. He was salt and light. And we'll talk about light when we get back together. Folks, we've been left here for a reason. If God's whole purpose was just to save us and then take us to heaven, we'd be get saved and be gone. But he's left us here for a reason. The Bible says it's so that the world may know how much he loves them. The problem is we've turned into just like the Jews. He loves us. He hates them. And sometimes when we fall prey to looking at what's going on in the world and we start thinking they're so wicked, they're so evil, don't, don't go down that trap. Be reminded of who you are and what God's done for you. Allow that truth to sink in and go out there this week and be peacemakers. Be salt. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming. And have a happy Thanksgiving.